welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. We're coming to you after, I don't know, probably no game um, after the last time we did one. So what we're going to do tonight is take a look at a bit of an overview of the season so far. Um, where we hope to end, what our aspirations are, given the state of play at the moment. And look at Jesus Christ, the night and the morrow morning. It looks like Liverpool have signed an actual football player. And it might be that he's very good as well. So tonight I've got, or well, this morning or whenever you're listening to this, I've got Dave Karn of Brazil. Dave, are you good? Yeah, Dave's great, so that's fantastic. Andy, <laughs> Abel in Liverpool as well. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. You've thrown me by asking me how I am, um, because no, I thought I you didn't that. do that anymore. I know, I think because it was only three of us, I thought... To me. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I realised, and I thought maybe it's because there's only three, I didn't really give it enough thought. But anyway, right, okay, fuck you, don't care how you are, let's get into it. <laughs> how Andy, are you, Dave? <laughs> are you okay, Dave? We're really worried about you. Thanks. No, no need to worry. You're almost, you're home alone with a bottle. We're worried about you. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm fine. I'm as happy as could be. And what's maybe even more happier is made me more happier. Sorry, made me happier or more happy is Liverpool signed a player, Andy, and like a guy that looks like he's actually like first team ready as well as first team ready as you can be for for a Jurgen Klopp Liverpool. It's Pretty textbook, to be honest, through the transfer committee. It's he's just turned twenty-five. It's like in around the forty million mark. Um, he looks this season like he has taken a step in his numbers. I think it was, was it fourteen goals and maybe eleven or twelve goals the previous two seasons in forty odd matches. And I think so far it's sixteen and twenty twenty something. So, you know, that's that's a that's a next level, that's another level he's found. It's not gradual. So this is very kind of reminiscent of let's let's just take Sadio Mane, for example. Yeah, I think breakout season is the terminology everyone's using around how Luis Diaz has played this year. Um I'm not gonna lie, I, I've <laughs> I said this morning I've I've never seen him play before until somebody informed me I was literally at Anfield when he played. But um, obviously, never really focused on the opposition. But he, he played twice for for Porto against us this year, and it's that sweet spot, a sweet sweet spot of a transfer. Uh, you mentioned the age there, same age as around Salah, Mane. I think we mentioned previously, Firmino was a little bit uh, older when he signed, but um, Jota as well. It's it's that sweet spot where. I find it difficult with Liverpool now because, you know, when we were knocking around 6th, 7th, 8th under Brendan Rodgers, it was obvious what players we could sign and, you know, you were taking risks on certain players and more often than not, they weren't coming off. And we've gone from that to obviously winning the Premier League, Champions League, but not being Man City in the sense of spending that money on that regular basis. And um, so it's almost like sometimes what can Liverpool actually sign? What is that sweet spot? And he is that player and he is that player that Liverpool will wait a year, a year and a half, two years until they can do it and get get the right price and get the right player in. So I got into work basically at seven o'clock this morning, thought I'll get myself prepared for the day. And yeah, I was thoroughly unprepared, very well versed in the playing style of Luis Diaz. I've done the holy trinity of Wikipedia, Transfer Market and YouTube. And, you know, obviously we all know the caveats around watching a player's highlights, but a couple of things I picked up 
personally, where his dribbling style is seems to be quite similar to Salah in that sort of unique way, which completely contradicts me saying it's similar to uh, to Salah. But the way Salah dribbles in the sense that, you know, people always used to talk about Arjen Robin in the sense that he used to always cut inside in his left foot and hit a shot. And everyone knew he was going to do it, but nobody could stop him doing it. And Salah, it seems like the same sort of thing. And Salah's got this thing where he dribbles in such a way now where it's kind of on the precipice of cutting inside. But if you want to stop him cutting inside, you have to leave the other option the other way completely open. And a couple of times I saw Luis Diaz doing that. And he's not shy going on to the left foot either. And, and, and taking you know, it I was going to say, actually, Andy, he does this. I, I, I get what you're saying and I agree, but he also has this this very Sadio Mane thing of going outside with that weird little touch. It doesn't even look like he's kicking the ball from a stand and start. Mm-hmm. Um, so and he can go either way. So there are there are shades of both those players in there, and it's you know looking at it now and and adding it all up, this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, should it? No, definitely not. And one of the other things I'd sort of noticed as well was um, it sort of reminded me of Suarez in a way, just the sheer number of awkward goals he scores when he seems to be off balance. He he seems to be able to get a strike away and get a decent strike away. Um, and that was Suarez. It was always he always seemed <laughs> his body seemed to be at forty five degrees to his his legs at times, but he would still get a decent shot in and, and sneak the odd one in. And that's something I noticed in just just watching the goals he scored. Um, and he just seems to be a very very good striker of the ball as well. Now, obviously, if you watch a YouTube compilation, you're you're more likely to see his good strikes than his you know the ones he shanked into the stands. But a couple yeah, of the I goals. Yeah, a couple of the goals he scored, he's he scoring in those compilations is, you know, the, it's almost like, you know, no backlift on the ball and very few players can do that. And it's just, yeah. you know, cutting inside and, and hitting a shot so, so powerful that the keeper's not really getting anywhere near it. And the, those goals are so, like, aesthetically pleasing um, in a way. So, so yeah, I've, I've never seen him play, but I can tell you he's basically dribbles like Salah, scores like Suarez and um, strikes the ball like the best striker of the ball ever in the world. So yeah, reason yeah, to be excited. Totally. That's what I took from it. It's such a, such a base observation, but like he hits the ball dead hard. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot to be said for being able to hit the ball dead hard, and dead clean. Ashley you know, Barnes has made a career out of it. I've never seen a man strike the ball as hard as what totally. Ashley Barnes does. And like th- that is probably Raheem Sterling could be the best player in the world. If he could just hit the ball hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he can't. So, you know, it, it's it's not an insignificant part of the game, especially for a forward. Dave, this is this is a weird kind of dichotomy we're in now, um, where this transfer kind of informs potentially the future of the front three. Um, it's kind of looking at the minute like, you know, we've long talked about succession planning and like phasing the front three because of age profiles, etc. So we look at Jada. He's come in there. He's he's let the place up, and he's probably your your central player of the front three. You're looking at Diaz now. He plays off the left. He can cut inside. He is uh, he is a, a typical looking stylistically Mane replacement. And uh, what you do with Salah, not whether you give him a new contract or you, you just let him run it down or, and and try to do the same thing um, with him. I don't know. So. I don't know where where are you with this because the other side of the argument is yes we phase these players out but what a lot of people on certainly social media will say is 
we need strength and depth like Manchester City, where we can just exchange Jesus for Foden and Grealish for Sterling and um, Mares for fucking uh, I don't know, probably something. Uh, but 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 it all comes down to Sterling, Dave. Pound Sterling and, and wages. Yeah. You, you know, and and and, it's, and it's, I think look realistically, wouldn't we all love to be Man City with with that abundance of riches lying on the bench, um, hundred million pound players just just sitting on the bench week in week out? It'd be fantastic, but we can't do that. It's quite clear we can't do that. The the Diaz purchase to me sort of tells you, you know, look for another twenty million, um, you could you could have Haaland. For example, I think they said it was something about 45 million. I think 65 lifts you Haaland, obviously. Different wage bracket, different uh, stratosphere, different age and all the rest of it. So for the sake of 20 million, it, it, it sort of says to me, Dave, that number one, they, they wanted this player. Tottenham were, were, were sniffing around him and he was so much of a priority on, in, in the plans that they've, they've pulled the trigger now as opposed to waiting. Um, so they obviously highly rate him. They, they were obviously going to buy him in the summer anyhow. So, you know, there, we, we, look, we've all done it. We've sat here and gone and Bappy, we've gone and Hal and, you know, we've dreamt, as we do as football supporters, it's, it's our right to dream. But I think with, with this signing, it sort of says, look, you know, we're not getting any of them. Um, personally, you, you mentioned Mo Salah. I think that contract gets sorted. If that contract does not get sorted in the next while, in the next two or three months, um, I, 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 I'd be shocked. I don't see how they can let Salah go. I just don't see how you can let what the best the best footballer on the planet at the minute. Um, you, you know, if you look, we're not, they talk about Ronaldo and Messi. The two of them are not having good seasons at all, uh, as it stands at this moment. And Mo Salah's on fire. He's the best player in the world. And if we cannot secure his services as a club, we may as well fucking pull the shutters down and go home because. You know, it's they're, they're talking about breaking wage structures and whatnot, but quite frankly, you know, people talk about, oh, Van Dijk could come in the next season and wrap the door and say he wants that money. When Mo Salah's posting those stats that he's, that he's posted this season, he's worth that money. He deserves every penny of that money. And it's still cheap by comparison for what the likes of United are paying fucking Cristiano Ronaldo to labour around the football field for for what um, PSG are paying their front three to labour about a football field, and they're not even in the same class as Salah. So and he, he has he has that. You can't argue. People might say, oh, but Ronaldo gives you this and gives you that, shirt sales, blah, blah, blah. Salah has that commercial viability as well. And I don't think we are ta- quite tapped into that quite yet because the, the Ronaldo-Messi circus is still ongoing. You know what I mean? The fanboys have, have had 10, 15 years of this being sort of instilled in them. Um, and, and, you know, there'll be a portion of those Ronaldo and Messi fanboys who will not be able to accept. A bit like it was very hard for us to accept Stevie G that season. He went off the cliff. You know what I mean? When when, you, when your idols come to an end in their career, it's really hard to watch. And, and it'll take a little while for these guys to, 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 to maybe come around to the new world that they're in. But the new world that they're in is that Mo Salah is, like, quite frankly, at this moment in time, if you said to me we could swap, you know, we could, you could swap Mbappe for, for Salah, I, 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 I take Salah. Salah is the best player in the world at the minute. And if we, Dave, as I said, if we do not renew that contract, it's only my opinion. Pull down the shutters and go home. Forget it as a club. We cannot afford to lose him. 
and and I think you know we we have we have FSG have done very well and structured their finances and they've done very well. This is the one they need to take a risk on. They've no problem taking those kinds of risks in in in, in baseball. I never had once they once they won the World Series and they. They, they made the Red Sox a success. I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be doing it here. Rant over. Yeah, it's kind of fair. Um, I love to criticise the owners, Andy, because you know, essentially there's always going to be a large portion of the fan base that are kind of disappointed no matter what they do. We've seen now a report that's come out that have said Manchester City's latest sponsorship um, partnership is with a basically a shell company. They don't have any employees. They don't have any revenue. They don't have any um, location, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the you know I think there is an expression: "There's no smoke without fire." So take from that what you like. And the thing is that I've heard this term used by Neil Atkinson um, often, but. You can't beat Manchester City in an arms race. So no matter how much money we throw at X, Y, or Z player, they're just going to find ways to throw more at it. So we do have to be a bit smarter and a bit more calculated. Yeah, I think, to use another Neil Atkinson phrase, it's like Man City are always going to be better at X and always going to be better at Y. So Liverpool have to make sure they're really, really, really good at Z because that's their only way of beating them. Yeah, you can't play them at their own game. It's it's as simple as that. Now, my frustration with the owners, and I'm in the generally in the camp of FSG, and they're not they're not great owners. They're not great people by any stretch of the imagination. They will push and push and push and chance their arm with us as supporters as much as they can and see what they can get away with. There's no doubt about that. Um, and you've got kind of two trains of thought, haven't you? You've got the idea, well, you know, they could be worse. Or, you know, essentially, they they could be the model owners and much, much, much worse. Yeah, they could they, they could be a lot worse, but but they, but they also could, could be, be better. And yes, you, you know, if you were to get them out, they, they you're you're taking that risk in a, in a sense, aren't you? So it's the idea of the devil, you know. But I think you know in the How summer. How much do you remember of the Cowboys, Andy? <laughs> absolutely nothing. You see, it, it, it's it's still it's still fresh, and, and I'm sure Dave would agree. You know, you're talking about the old, we we had that Hicks and Gillette nonsense. Oh, oh, uh, that, uh, I didn't I didn't get that as the reference. Yeah, I, I remember it, but I wasn't really old enough to understand. Uh, you know, so we, we, we bad is still fresh with us, if you know what I mean. Um, that, oh, bad, but but uh, where where's the middle ground between what Man City do and? us literally spending no money in the summer. Like, who who are the owners who can get you maybe Rafinha for 40 and Neuhaus for 30? And you go into the season genuinely a hell of a lot stronger having having not done the Man City thing. And people seem to think it's binary between that, um, but between it, what, what we've been doing and what City are doing. But I, I think just finding that middle ground, even slightly further in the spectrum towards what we have right now, um, I think is just a slight frustration. But if... I mean, if if we look at it right now, looking towards the end of the season, I know we're not we're not doing the overview yet, but I've been thinking, as much as it is only six points, or well, it's technically nine points, but with the game in hands, it's six points. We've lost two more games than them. I can't see us being six points better than Man City over the next 
16, 17 games, whatever it is. However, if we get some sort of a catalyst, like a signing, you know, like a, I don't know, putting a run together like we had at the end of last season, like something coming together tactically like it has done the last couple of games, don't think we'll be... Throw a trophy in maybe in the next couple of months. Possibly, although there's there seems to be like a curse over winning the League Cup. Everyone thinks it gives you a boost, but it, it ends up going the other way. And it, it ended up going the other way for us the last time we won it, didn't we? Yeah, right, didn't I think it, Mourinho, so. Mourinho always used it. He used that as the start of something where I think a lot of a lot of clubs use that as the end of something. Like, OK, we've, we've achieved something this season. Whereas Mourinho used that as a benchmark to, to, go, and, to go and surpass. Um, but I think you're right, Andy. I think it takes sometimes it only takes a moment. Yeah. Sometimes it only takes a moment to switch the season. And like for instance, uh, when we won the league, probably those last few minutes at Aston Villa were that moment. It wasn't any more than five minutes. So that might be all it takes to destroy someone's confidence, or at the same time give another side enough kind of encouragement to just galvanise them. 100%. Like, imagine, you know, next league game's Leicester, isn't it? 10th of February. Thursday night. Imagine that's nil-nil. Lewis Diaz comes off the bench. The crowd get up for it. He, he curls one into the top corner. We win one nil. Those are the types of moments that can change a season, that can be the catalyst for a season. And if we can get some sort of... Um, not superhuman momentum, but something outside of what we have right now. We're kind of chugging along, you know. We're we're getting results, but we're probably a little bit lucky on uh, on Sunday there. Um, we're not playing as well as Man City. It's hard to be to see us being six points better than them, especially seeing how we have to go there. But something that can just click and can lift the crowd and and can get us, you know, the Salah Mane <laughs> in the back, Diaz coming in, Jota keeping performing like he is. Something like that can can give you that little push that you just need to roll and roll and roll. And, you know, as I'm sure we'll come on to talk about seven games before we play Man City. If we can somehow get seven wins there, I don't think it's overly realistic, but it's possible. Um, and go into that game uh, with very Andy, maximum we, two we, games we, worse off than them. We know Man City hate one thing, and that's being under pressure. Yeah. And the thing they hate most of all is being put under pressure by Liverpool mm-hmm. because we scare them. We scare Guardiola, uh, so it's it's okay. I, I'm with you 100 percent in what you said. I I, I I don't see us being six points better off I, it, unless something dramatic happens. But there's injuries, freak red cards. The games can change. You know yeah. they can drop points. Southampton twice this season. Yeah. On neither occasion would you have in any uh, way thought but, you'd have got them dropping points before that game. But you know the, the we have odds. Don't get me wrong. It's, there's no. It's not a zero chance. We have a chance. Yeah. But that chance needs us to be perfect, and it needs us to, to be good with injuries. It needs us. To, we need a favourable run here. I think I don't know what you guys think, but I think Klopp in, in recent games, you know, he's back with the fist pumps, and it, and it's very animated, and it's very. It's very much a show, and, yeah. I, and I think this is Klopp's way of saying, right, come on, look, we have a chase on here. I, I would dare say in his own head, he's he's, pr- he's probably rationalised it like I have. Well, I, I think that's interesting, Dave. So I, I was at the Brentford game, and I, I think I'm pretty sure it was the, the game directly after that first leg of the, the League Cup against Arsenal, which was a really sort of drab performance against 10 men, really frustrating, didn't create much ch- many chances at all. That was the first game I, after the lads had gone away to AFCON. So, you know, the mood in the place was low. 
um, against a team we normally hammer when they have 11 men, never mind with 10. Um, and it's hard to know what the fist bumps came from after that. It wasn't, you know, a late winner. It wasn't a massively brilliant atmosphere. And I saw a lot of people actually talking about it on Twitter. And um, it was all those, um, ugh, I don't even want to go into them, but you know, the ones who go on about top reds all the time and, and this, that and the other. And they, they were talking about, oh, Klopp's done it because the Anfield atmosphere was so flat and he wanted to get us up for it. I think that's absolute bollocks. I think he did it because... It's this idea that he's probably been drumming into the players' heads week in, week out, ever since we've had a little bit of a lull ever since the Leicester game, that it is only six points. And, you know, we talk about being six points better than the team over the course of a season. And we look at it completely linearly as if, you know, it has to be like a gradual closing of the gap. Football doesn't work in a linear way. If we win this weekend and they lose, six becomes three all of a sudden. And, you know... And then it looks a lot more realistic. But, you know, I the thing that football fans often get into their their heads mistakenly, I think, with predicting what's going to happen in the league is, interestingly enough, I was listening to that um, Joe Rogan podcast with Jordan Peterson there at the weekend. And I don't want people to get an idea of that's the type of thing I normally listen to. But it was, it, it was just interesting. And what Jordan Peterson said at one point was... Um, and he was talking about climate change and, and looking at things 100 years down the line. The, you know, the margin of error from today to tomorrow is small. But if you accumulate that margin of error in prediction over 365 days and then 100 years, it ends up becoming absolutely massive and you're miles off it. And what, as football fans, we always do is we think a team's form right now is just going to carry through to the end of the season. Like There were people in fucking October convinced absolutely convinced that Chelsea were going to win the league and nobody was going to get anywhere near them. And all of a sudden, you know, okay. These newcomers to football are everywhere though, aren't they? <laughs> but there were genuinely serious people that thinking that, that Chelsea were, were going to walk the league. And and like, you know, not not you people who have, who have watched it for over a long period of time. But what you forget is that you can probably relatively accurately predict Man City's next game based on the way they're playing or Chelsea's next game based on the way they're playing. But to extrapolate that over half a season even is just such a massive call in football. And I always bring it back to last season where around December time we were more or less in the same position, maybe a couple of points off the top of the table and City going that mad run. And I think it psychologically impacts the rest of the league and it psychologically impacts us and we end up obviously going six home defeats in a row. But the thing that people forget about last season is as great a run as Man City went on, with three games to go, Man United could have still won the league. And they kept that consistency with them and City inevitably had that drop-off. And whether that was because they didn't have the pressure on them so they took their foot off the gas or whether that was natural reversion to the mean and how they were playing. <laughs> Whether we can be six points better off than City over the course of the season, I don't know. But I'm sure as hell that Man City will drop six points or more. So it's possible. You, you, you say you say that we have to, before we reach that City game, we need to win seven league games. Basically, is what you're saying. There's yeah. seven games until we. Now we're, we're, we're all more winnable than as well. No, that, but, but regardless of who they are, we know that that team is capable of doing that run. No problem. Yeah. We well, bond easy. So Dave, so Dave, just on this, okay? Just okay. on this. I think this is, I think this is a nice little insert to bring in here. We have now a situation where we've done the thing that we thought we needed to do at the start of the season in order to keep ourselves in with a shout, which was not 
concede any points, games, etc. during AFCON, which mm-hmm. we've navigated. We've brought a new player in. More significantly, I think we've got you know an, a fit Naby Keita back for at least two or three games. Um, but I think the big one, and we will look statistically at this. Thiago has won Thiago. I think, all but one game that yeah. he started in. So for me, and I actually said this. So he's made on, a fucking balsa wood. That's the fucking. Problem. Yeah, I said this early <laughs> on in the season, and it's very, very rare that I am, uh, you know, vindicated. But he could and perhaps should be the key to enabling us to put a run of seven, eight, nine wins in a row together to really, really put the pressure on them, go to the area, take three points, have them shit their pants like we've seen them do before and put ourselves in pole position for the last few weeks of the season. If he can remain fit, Dave, and that's the if. It almost feels a bit sturridge-esque. You know, if he can stay fit, we have a real fighting chance. I agree, Dave. Even if he doesn't, I still think we have a fighting chance. Um, you know, if we if we win those seven games, if we rock up to the Etihad with the bit between our teeth, and say for instance we were to win that game, I think what happens after that, that's where I can see. You know, you're talking about City becoming unsettled or a bit rattled or whatever, and we know we know for for what two or three seasons now. Oh, t- t- last season, take it out and normally throw it away. But before that, we were we were in their heads rent free, and 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 I say if we arrive at the Etihad. And, and we're still only six behind, or maybe even less if the, if the fuck ups. I think pressure does them. You know, it, it's very difficult to win back to back leagues. Uh, is is the other thing in our favour, and that's that's I'm only talking about a wafer uh, of an advantage. But it, you know, it's, historically, it's very difficult to win back to back. Plus the fact you get the feeling, Dave, uh, and from from my money, that City really want the Champions League this season. I don't think we'll ever get it. But I really think that that's where their number one priority lies this season, uh, is the Champions League. Can I, can I so. make a point, Dave? On uh, you, you, you mentioned Thiago there, and, and Dave makes the Dave Carr makes the the good point that he's obviously very injury prone. I think something we've stumbled upon the tactical tweak that we've done post Arsenal home uh, to win the two games um, during Afcon. Or three games was it? Yeah, three games including um, Brentford, Palace, and Arsenal away. And um, that idea of having Chamberlain as the out-and-out winger, allowing Jones to kind of play further on the left midfield and getting Jota and Firmino closer to each other. I don't think we're going to see that again this season. Not least with the African lads back, and definitely not with Luis Diaz when you've like what three options on the left now with Diaz. Yeah, uh, it's Jota. a little bit like what we were doing, but we've switched sides. Yeah, but but that but that was key, and I think it, it it has to be Chamberlain playing on the right because otherwise, you know, Robertson we know is a lot wider than than Trent Alexander Arnold these days, and otherwise it's just getting. Are we away. not factoring in uh, young Harvey Elliott and all of this? No, because well, this, well, there's that as well. But the point I was going to make just before we go on to that was Jones. How Jones is is playing on that left hand side of midfield, um, could potentially allow, um. Tiago not to necessarily have to play every single game, and I don't know if the injuries that Tiago picks up are all to do with fatigue and all to be do, uh, all to do with being overplayed. But the idea that now, you know, previously going into a big game, 
say you go, go to play Man United away, your immediate first choice midfield is always going to be Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago. We know that's the first choice midfield. But all of a sudden, you can envisage games in which Jones could, Jones could play away at Man City, and I'd be absolutely fine with it if it, it worked with tactically what we were doing. Same with Oxy chamberlain Almost out of the blue, those two have made themselves options again. And that's going to take a weight off Thiago's shoulders and Henderson's shoulders and Fabinho's shoulders. And, you know, you've got Naby Keita back. He's been trusted in big away games as well. And, you know, I we think, are, we are short midfielder. of a midfielder, but there are I options think, there too. I think the point, Andy, but, but here is... Sorry, Dave, just to, just to go ahead of you there. Um, go, go, go. The, 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 what I've taken from what you said there, Andy, is that we've been forced to find an alternative solution which might actually yeah. enable us to be a bit more flexible in this in this you know what is it next 16 games or something like that if we are getting suffocated down the right hand side with that little triangle what we can do is we can remove Harvey Elliott or Jordan Henderson we can pop um Jones on and push that more oh. attacking and creative and Penetrating midfielder yeah. down the left hand side, Completely. which will nullify any sort of well, basically bypass their game plan to deal with Salah, Trent, Alexander Arnold, etc. Mm-hmm. And once they shift their attention to that, that frees up space. And that's where we that's where we confuse teams, that's where we fatigue teams mentally. They don't know where they're supposed to be. So that may be a bit of a blessing in disguise going forward. I don't know if that's what you were trying to get at there, but that's certainly yeah. what I've taken from it. <laughs> I wasn't actually sort of thinking the, the focus on the, the, the right-hand side specifically, but it is a good point. And do you think that's maybe why, I mean, it's a very myopic sort of thing to say over a six-month period, but do you think that's maybe why they've gone for somebody on the left? Because all of a sudden now, you know, if Manny's not having a good game, you can play Jota or Diaz there or, and and vice versa. And you can really make a, 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 you know, a real strong left-hand side. Not that it hasn't been strong. I think it has been, but... We yeah. all know Mane struggled a little bit. So, you know, if, yeah. you, if you look at that and then say Diaz comes in and he's, he's firing on all cylinders, we don't know that. But, you know, you can pretty much have a similar enough quality on the left-hand side with Robertson, Jones and Diaz, for example, or Robertson, Jones and Mane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be more balanced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Trent issue is a thing because I think that is that system is designed to basically enable him, which has been shown by, I think... Did anybody see the Ian Wright conversation during the week? No. No. I think um, is there one player has seven passes into the final third this season on average per game. There's a few on six, a few on five, and then there's nobody on eight, no one on nine, no one on ten, and Trent is on 11 by himself. So that just emphasises... The, response, the attacking responsibility we put on him and the system that we've created to give him that space and time um, to accommodate his skill set to be in a real attacking asset for us. So I think it's an option. I don't think it will be the go-to. I think we found a little nick that we could probably use going forward if we're struggling, which is great, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be seen when we have our first 11 available. Dave, Sorry, you were trying to talk there for a while, so crack on. No, Dave, I was just want to make a point that, you know, during that time of the AFCON there, I think our midfield came under a lot of scrutiny. And 
I think it was easier for the opposition to, to target them, given the fact that the potency wasn't there up front. And I think that they suffered even more for that. And I think maybe there was a, a brief bit of criticism, maybe was goes quite harsh maybe whenever you take that into consideration you know whenever you whenever you take Salah and Mane out of our our, our attacking three you know it, we're not we're not anywhere near as scary you know to, to an opposition team and that allows that allows them much more time to focus on, on on breaking down our midfield and making our midfield's life much more difficult whereas I think you know the, the next game coming up the, the opposing manager he he's he's like oh fuck here the front three oh we need to stop the front three it allowed them tactically to just to to, to 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 better our midfield on us. I think that's just basically what happened. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a hard one. To, it's a hard one to put your finger on because look, these guys that devise tactics and and coach footballers, they're infinitely more knowledgeable and capable than we are. So we can kind of use our eyes and very limited experience to to draw conclusions. But we're not we're not always going to be right. So look, Andy. Um, I think with the the Diaz thing, as we've talked about, is is fine and it's happened. Um, so I just want to talk about the Champions League for a while because this is a funny little lull where everybody kind of forgets about it and concentrates on on the now. And we've a League Cup final, um, and I think is it coming up four weeks, um, four weeks on Sunday, and we'll talk about that towards the end. But the Champions League, eventually, we didn't. Eventually, we got a draw, which probably wasn't the most favourable. Um, Inter, for my money, are, are still the best team in Italy, um, regardless of the players that they've lost. A big bonus for us, I think I saw uh, Nicolo Barella is suspended for both matches. He is a player that I have a great deal of time for. Box-to-box, athletic, skillful, intelligent, presses like a monster. Um, aggressive. He's like Catuzzo with bags more skill. Um, but last last eight, you'd hope we can get into the last eight. And regardless of form, etc., etc., over two legs, over two legs with with stadiums full. You know, let's start talking about this, Andy. How far are we away from number seven? Given, you know, who else is who else feels like, and certainly. In the in the bookmakers, um, odds is going to be vying for that trophy at the end of the season. We're up there with three or four, maybe. Yeah, I think the the quality of this Liverpool team in uh, if you put this Liverpool team in the Champions League round of sixteen, any of the last twenty twenty five years, it challenges for it. It's one of the favourites for it. It has itself a very very good chance of winning it. Now you then take the El Clasico teams and they're probably I mean Real Madrid win the league every year but I'd, I'd back us to get past Real Madrid over two legs I mean we give them a decent enough game last year when we were on our arses you know what I mean and even still we're probably a little bit unlucky um, to to lose that you know they probably did, did deserve to go through in the end but we were on the floor at that time I mean we could we were getting beaten by Brighton at home Fulham at home teams like this so I think your biggest Dave mentions earlier that he doesn't think Man City are going to win it I think at some point they're going to win it in the next five years or so maybe even this year like at some stage by sheer brute force 
they're going to get to enough semi-finals and finals. It's by the law point, of average, is real, isn't it? Yeah, that at some point, oh, I, was I remember not going to shit himself. About, and yeah, I remember thinking this about Chelsea back in the day, where like, don't just anybody but those fuckers, honestly, anybody but them. And then you came to the realization that sooner or later it's going to happen. And the sooner you come to that realisation, the more at peace you're going to be with it when it actually does happen. Yeah. Whether it happens when Pep is there or not is kind of another question. I, I think so, yeah. And there's there's a lot of pressure on Pep because he hasn't won a Champions League since, is it 2011 was the last one he's won? So if he doesn't win it this year, that'll be 11 years. And, you know, I, I think he probably is the best coach in the world and one of the best coaches of all time, if not the best coach of all time. But that's a that's a blot on his record if that if this keeps going on for any longer. He is spending by far the most money of any club in the world and has done really even before he was at at Man City. Um, or certainly any club in Europe. I'm not sure about the world, but that's, yeah, I, I I just wouldn't like to face him over two legs right now, to be honest. Um, we saw how they played at Anfield this season, and it was Would, Andy. Just a question for you. Would you rather face them over one leg in a final? I'd take them. I, I want them at Anfield. That, that, that's it's the only. I would uh, rather I, face them in a final, personally. Would you? Yeah. I think oh, really? them are them are Bayern Munich for me. I want over two legs. I I I would rather face them in a final because, for the first time, ever in my lifetime this year, I saw City come to Anfield and be completely sort of unfazed. In terms of the atmosphere, in terms of we couldn't press them, um, they were getting through our midfield time and time again. Bernardo Silva was incredible, and the game was played completely on their terms. And even when there's been a far bigger gap in quality between the two teams, like say when we beat them three nil in twenty eighteen, was it or twenty nineteen maybe? Uh, no, twenty eighteen we won it in twenty nineteen. Even when there was a bigger gap between the two teams. The game was never played on their terms. It was last year, and it was in that four-one in lockdown. And albeit there's no fans there, and I thought that, that was a, a playing a big part. But over I think days, you're right. I, I actually see now. See now you say that. I think you're right, and I think you have a point. And the parallel that I'll draw with that is our lockdown win at Old Trafford. And yeah. We go there, we break that duck, we get that monkey yeah, off our the back. Metal block, yeah. And then the next year we go and like we fucking smash them. And as bad as they were and as bad as they have been this season, I don't think that happens if the year before doesn't happen. I agree. And I think But the year before has happened. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think that's your point. And I, I do agree yeah. with you to to a sense, however, there is a difference between a Sunday afternoon game yeah. at Anfield and a Champions League night under the lights. Yeah, and there, there's also a matter. Of, there's also a matter of sudden death, Dave, in a form of a knockout, which, which, you know, I, I think is the game changer. But here's um, the other. Here's the other thing as well. Sorry to cut, cut across, but just no. um, before it goes out of my head, Dave. Um, if if we play. Them in a final in front of sixty thousand Petersburg. Um, that we're gonna, it's gonna basically be like a home game for us. You know, the atmosphere will be like a home game for us. And I know it's not Anfield, but it'll still have that element to it. You know what I mean? It will. It will. Um, 
at the same time, Andy, you know, they come to Anfield, they they have that mental block kind of, they've exercised those demons, if you will. And for all their dominance, particularly in the first half, they still don't win the game, mm-hmm. you know. And I think... Well, it, we, took, it took Mo Salah to be fucking brilliant for 30 seconds to, to, to get us a point, and he, that goal was fucking yeah, out of this Yeah, but don't remember, Dave. Both goals don't are for, a moment of magic as well. Salah's amazing for the first goal, too. Like it's, Unbelievable. But don't forget, we take the lead twice in that game. We're not trying to peg them back, you know. That would nearly win it with Fabinho. Yeah, but, you know. So, But, but the yes. thing about it, they're, they're, they're saying, you know, look, that was pretty early doors in the season as well. You know, one thing we've noticed, and we haven't touched on it very much, is, you know, Virgil van Dijk isn't what he used to be yet. He's still sort of coming back. And there's that element as well. And I I think van Dijk, at times, I've seen boys say, you know, he's a bit casual. Especially boys that go to the game, he looks very casual. And I think that's just him. He hasn't fully readjusted to, to the new reality of himself. I don't think he's he's degraded much as a player. Um, it's just he he he's learning. It's like learning his game again, just little bits of his game again. And I think he's been doing that. And I think that's where the difference was um, against Man City. I think that's that's I, I I that's where I want to see it. And I don't think it'll be the same if we played that game today. That's the point I'm making. Is there is there a thing as well? Just. I know you're talking about the Champions League right now. Are you going to come on to talk about the, the Prem, Dave? Do you want me to do it now or chill away? Let's go. Let's go. Um, how much of a thing is there? Because I keep saying it's six points, and I said in the Anfield Rap, it's six points at the weekend. A couple of smart arses in the comments, oh, it's fucking nine points. Don't count the points until it's it's done. But I was, I was talking, it's, it's in our heads, it's six points. We're two games behind them. Um, so we have a... a Andy, blank- in our heads, we have to win it. We have yeah. to win our game in hand. There's no, no yeah. other option. Yeah, but also like yeah, in my head, you know, well, if we don't win that game in hand, we're not in it anyway. So I'm not interested. And in whether it's nine or six, we're two games behind them. We miss a weekend in at the end of February because we play in the Carabao Cup final. Um, so we play set. We're scheduled in for seven games before we play Man City. Man City are scheduled in for eight games. At one of those weekends, it's actually the weekend we play United. We're uh, scheduled to play United at home, which will probably be uh, postponed and pushed down the line one way or another because that's the FA Cup quarterfinal weekend. The chances are one of us may well be in that. Um, But there is a world in which, um, I'm not sure who Man City have in the next round of the FA Cup, probably fucking Portadown at home or something. Uh, I was going to say, Lauren. Yeah. Um, There's a world in which, even though we're, we would be two games behind them in our heads. It would be six points. There's a world in which it's actually 15 points because they have an extra game in that time and potentially could play the FA Cup weekend while we're playing FA Cup. Does that in any way um, psychologically get us down? I think the fact that the, be... the actual in real life gaps could be 12 or 15 when yeah. we yeah. think it's six. And the way I look at it is I kind of look at, look at if you look at the Burnley situation, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not looking at that as X amount of points. If you want me to put a number on it, I'm looking at their kind of points per game average. So we're at what, just over, just over two, I think, just over two points a game at the minute we're running at. So 
if we win it, great. But we the likelihood is we will drop points further down the line, and that average will will drop. I think it. <laughs> If it's going to get to the stage that you're talking about where it could be 15 points, that means City go and win all their matches. And I think yeah. if City continue on this vein up until that point in the season that you're talking about, I don't think we keep up with them. I think if something's going to happen, it has to happen before then, if that makes sense. In terms of them dropping points? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we need and the it, encouragement it, it, it. and we need the we need the hope to be there. Um we need to feel like there's a realistic chance before it gets to what quarterfinal FA Cup round weekend. They, they they don't have an easy run either, City, um, and neither do we. But in my head, all the games are winnable, and they will be thinking the same. And it, it is biased from me, but you know our next six are Leicester home, which is a tough game. Burnley away, Norwich home. You think that's six points? West Ham home, tough game, but home. You know all the tough games we have. United at home, and almost you know one of the. The scariest ones for me there is Brighton away in, at the end of next month because they're very good. But they've still to play Brighton. They've still to go to Palace. They've only they've, lost four times all season, Brighton. Yeah. And I think they're, um, you know, everyone seems to think they've uh, all the bad luck they had last season with massively underperforming their XG. It's all gone in their favour this season, but they're actually still massively underperforming their mm-hmm. XG and all the ex- expected things. I think Green Potter's great, but... Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some of their fixtures and Spurs home, Everton away, United home, Palace away will be interesting. I think even Brighton home um, before they before they play us and they'll be looking at the same thing and thinking we'll drop points. But, you know, it's not as if they I feel like they've played Norwich at home six times this season already. And those fixtures aren't are, are actually quite difficult, you know. Yeah, those it's generally it's generally the likes of the palaces and the worlds that the city will drop points against. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Solskjaer's had a few kind of a little bit of a hoodoo over him at times but you know like Arsenal are not going to beat them Spurs are, are not going to beat them um, no. Everton are going to beat them yeah fuck well, well they, they are down down in that um, in fact they're they're worse than, than those sides so maybe they will, will beat them somehow so look yeah I think Dave the the title charge is not really a charge. It's kind of like hanging on to coattails until maybe someone trips on a curb and we get our hands on their shoulders and kind of reel them in. We do have a couple of other opportunities for silverware this season. And I'm not going to lie to you. I fucking hit the roof when that second Jota goal would been against Arsenal. It was brilliant. I thought we were... Fairly good on the day. We restricted them to nowhere near the number of chances that they had at Anfield, certainly early on. And it's a cup final, and I love a cup final. Like I know that people have this perception. Dave, it's it, 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 it's the League Cup. It's the most devalued. It's worthless. There's, there's virtually no fucking prize money. Nothing. But I want nothing in the world more than the win it. I'm with you. Hundred percent with you. Yeah, no. And if you remember, there was a time. There was a time oh, we owned this five years in a row. We just showed yeah. up and won it. But but there was a time also, Dave, where it was it was lauded as a great trophy to win. It was it was the League Cup. It was important. You know, it, it's its relevance has has slid down the ladder. You know, with the with the the rise of of the stature of European football, like globally. Um, you know, like it, it's it's. It, there was a stage like 
until Man City started winning it, that it was generally even even second division teams could could, could get get, get their final because nobody was really interested in going that far. And look, Dave, there's a thing about it. And, and we're going to get a lot of shit from opposition fans, you know, because we're going to celebrate this because we didn't get to celebrate the league. This has been bottled up in us. And, you know, the, the guys that go to games and won that, we, they didn't have that, that that celebration when we won the league. So this is probably going to be the most, uh, the, the biggest celebration for, for a, a minor trophy that we've seen in world football for a long time. And I don't give a fuck. Let, the, let them say what they want. No, but Dave, you are right. It's these days... These days don't come along that often for any football fan, no matter how successful a club nope. is. A, a, a cup final at Wembley, all the eyes are on you. It's against a big team as well. Probably, you know, one of the top, certainly six or seven teams in Europe, in the world, maybe even top five. And there is a there's a nice shiny tin pot at the end of it, but it's about the occasion these occasions that your whole day is based around, that the whole week leads up to, um, and there's real proper jeopardy at the end of it. And I think, yes, it's the League Cup, and I understand why people feel the way they do about it now, but this is built into our folklore. It was a cornerstone of the legacy that has cemented this team in history as one of the greatest football teams in the world. And we should respect that first and foremost, but also we should go out and have a fucking great time and a great day because very few fans across all of the football pyramids in many countries very rarely ever get a day like this. And we're very good at days out. We, <laughs> we, bring, we bring a splash of colour to any final that we go to, Dave. Um, and also there's another, there's an aspect, and, and you can, I know we, we talked about this pre-pod and there's two ways to look at it. And you can you can say it can be counterproductive, but for my money, my thinking, lifting that trophy, especially the, what all we've talked about and we're chasing, we're chasing, something like that. We've got a new signing in, win this trophy. It's just like building momentum. And we know Klopp sides, once February comes to the end, March, uh, March and April, May, that's when we tend to peak. That's what we're set up to do. We're set up to peak at that time. And and if you do that, then with, you know, get these boys back lifting the trophy in front of the fans again. You know, we haven't done that since the Champions League. Let's not forget that. We won the league. It doesn't fucking feel like we won the league because we never really got to celebrate it. Um, You know, with that COVID nonsense. It, 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 this is going to be, an, if we can win this, it'll be an outpour of emotion. And I think it'll it'll transmit onto the terraces. It'll transmit through social media. It'll transmit, and, and then that, that'll have an effect on the team as well. I just want us to win. I think that winning it, if we stand any chance of winning the league, Champions League is a different thing. I think we're... I think we're favourites for that, personally. I, I, I think we're very close to number seven. You didn't ask me that question, Dave, but that's my opinion on it. But if, if we win this League Cup, I think I think it, it, it gives us a better fighting chance in that run-up to the league. Yeah, if, if we can use that the way, and I loathe to say it, um, Mourinho has, has used it in the past. It, it could be really, really important. Um, you win a League Cup final. Dave, does, it, does, it, does, it, does it matter who used it in the past? We need it right now. Fuck it. No, no. I, it doesn't matter who used it in the past. I just loathe giving the fucker any sort of credit at all. Um, because he did that well. 
um, when he was like relatively good at managing football teams. Um, Andy, just to kind of finish this off sort of thing then, um, this, we're looking at an overview. I don't really want to get into the FA Cup because we're, we're really early doors. But if we're looking further down the line, um, the Salah contract situation still rumbles on. This is, it's not, people keep saying it's going to get signed. I kind of feel that way, but I'm not sure whether I'm, I'm making myself feel that way because that's what I want to believe. In actual fact, we've seen FSG move fairly quickly on contracts. We have seen contract extensions and raises being signed and pushed forward without any notice at all. You just see a picture on your social media with Virgil van Dijk holding a pen and go, oh, there's another two and a half years. Brilliant. The Henderson one rumbled on for like two or three weeks. This is unusual and it worries me a little bit. Yeah, it's strange. And his agent seems to be giving it the big one on Twitter all the time, doesn't he? Which doesn't help. They're all dickheads, aren't they? Uh, my instinct is that it still does get done. I think Salah wants it to get done. And you have to remember with this, Salah, Salah will advise his agent as to what he wants. But apart from that, it's nothing to do with Salah and it's nothing to do with Klopp. It's people much higher up than them, or it's not higher up than them, but negotiating and or at a different pay grade to them, certainly. Their, their job description's very different. You know, Salah and Klopp are turning up to training every day and the stuff that's been leaked to the press, there's very little to do with. Um, the guy's employed to get Mo Salah the best deal that's possible for his career and get him as much money as possible. Uh, and Liverpool are, are wanting to keep the player, but to do it the most sort of cost-effective way. So you can get caught up and, you know, it's what Salah wants and it's you know, he's doing this and, you know, do, our Liverpool succession plan and blah, blah, blah. But... He wants it to happen. Liverpool want it to happen. I think, especially with signings like like Diaz as well. Uh, Andy, uh, do you, a straight question: Are the playing silly buggers? Are they trying to cut corners? Are they trying to penny pinch? Yeah. Um, the, yeah. Uh, and, and, and is that a, is that a prudent way to, to to proceed with the current best player in the world? The, but there, yeah, there probably is an issue as well where if you give him 500k, Van Dyke wants 500k, and you know, Trent says I'm the best young player in the world, I want 500. There is, you know, there is part of that as well. What I would say is to those players, and I don't know how dressing room dynamics work, but if I'm Virgil Van Dyke, I can swallow the pride of being paid 200k a year or 200k a week less than somebody if it means I might end up with two more European Cups and four more league titles to my name. But I don't know if that's how players think. So uh, ultimately, it is. We are guessing, aren't we? But my instinct says it'll get done. Uh, 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 do, you, do you remember whenever James Milner came on a free? Yeah. Um, and I'm, not that, that, I'm not that young. <laughs> right. But there was a hue and cry about you know Milner getting 150k a week. You see, yeah. within three seasons, that that 150k a week looked like nothing. Looked like peanuts because mm. the inflation of football now. Well, after COVID, who knows? Maybe it's going to be a bit different. But, um, you know, in relation to, if you take it over five years with Salah and the level that he's at, 
Yeah. So if you, if you take that, you know, when Milner came to us, he was 150k a week. And the, the Hugh and Christ, myself included, guilty as charged. I'm not going to fucking hide behind it. I thought it was exorbitant money to be paying somebody of that age and blah, blah, blah. Look at us today. And within two or three seasons, nobody nobody ever mentioned um, about James Miller's age or his contract, what, what wages he was on. And Mo Salah at the moment is, I keep saying it, for my money, the best player in the world at the moment. And and I, I would expect them, the physical condition that the guy's in, to get two or three more seasons out of him. Um, and I, I just feel that at the moment that FSG are trying to be too fucking cute for their own good, if that, if that makes sense. I just think that they see that, that what COVID has caused here is an opportunity. And and, and, they're, and they're trying to exploit it. And I think they're doing it with the wrong player. Well, Steve, it, you know, this is their MO. This is what their business is built on. It's it's finding it's finding the lowest. But relationship, relationships also need to exist within there, Dave. And if you're straining relationships because Here. of 50k a week. No, Dave, 100%. And this, and this was my second point. Um you know, they they bought Liverpool because they saw an opportunity there to get to pay something, to pay an amount of money which was less of the actual value. And I think they've probably looked at the market at the moment, the COVID situation, the number of clubs that would be able to give Salah what he wants, and they are trying to take advantage of that situation. And yes, you're right about the relationship side of things, but what I will say is we have seen time and time and time again FSG chance their arm and try their luck on a variety of different situations, testing and straining relationships all along the way. And they've got form for this, you know. Normally they cave and back down, but they do have form for it. So, you know, there, there's a lot of evidence there, historical evidence to suggest that this maybe is the approach to take into the Salah contract. I just think they've, they've picked the wrong player. You know, look, we we don't have very many players that, that you're in the conversation for the Ballon d'Or, historically with Michael Owen. You, you know what I mean? And this guy is the top of his game. Yes, nobody can afford him, really, in today's market. But that doesn't mean to say that you can't pay the guy what he's worth. And I think the overriding thing, and the strongest point for me is, Salah is very, very, very clear about one thing. He wants to play for Liverpool Football Club. And that's why I'm convinced that it will be sorted. And that's why I'm convinced that they're doing the wrong thing, pissing, pissing, or potentially, let's call it, pissing the guy off, Dave. Yeah. Okay. So, Andy, listen, just to kind of finish this off, the both of you, we've seen the success in plan and we've seen Jota. We've seen now Diaz. We expect to come in. Um, Jota certainly continues to vindicate the accuracy and success rate of how the transfer committee, for want of a really Brendan Rodgers kind of era term, um, how effective they are to identifying players. Do you feel that this is now a case of Mane, Firmino and potentially Salah being just basically phased out until the end of their contracts and moving on with a brand new, really robust and, you know, injury, basically free 
front three because that's the other thing about Diaz and that's the thing we've seen with Jota as well. They're very, very rarely unavailable. The same as Mane and the same as Salah. So how many of the three do we keep? And if so, which ones are they? I think over the next year and a half, two years, you see a transition to a Salah, Jota, Diaz front three. Um, I think Firmino's the type of player who will maybe stick around until he's 34, 35, and we'll all just love him, and he'd sort of just be that cult hero forever, even if his performance... Do you, do you feel he could take a step back into the midfield even and do a job, Bandy? Cause I, yeah, I've, possibly. I've always, felt, I've always felt that you could you could sort of shoehorn him in there to do a job, you know, if you kept, if you kept Roberto Firmino on. Absolutely or, not. No? Absolutely not. Um, no. What's your reasons for that, Dave? Go on. So, if he's going to play in the midfield, it's going to be a Curtis Jones, Naby Keita, Jordan Henderson, Harvey Elliott sort of position. I don't think he... I don't think he has the passing range to be able to do that. I don't think... He's a high-risk footballer. He attempts high-risk passes. He presses on the blind side without having to be positionally aware because he adapts to the opposition and what they do. Um, you're asking him to do something totally different in the Liverpool midfield. You have to be structured. You adapt to what the rest of your teammates do. You have to be disciplined. Um, and you have to compromise parts of your game. Um, you have to, you know, stay away from the high-risk passes. You well, can I be- can I ask another question, Dead quick? Mm-hmm. Around, around um, what well, was probably slightly over a year ago now, um, Jota came in and did so well. There was a lot of chat about the the, front the four. four, all four of them, and we played away at Man City, and it works, and we haven't really seen it since. With well, five it now, for is what? there more? Is there more of a chance we can see half an four? Hour. Well, I think it works at City. I think we do really well at the, in City at, at City in that game. Um, you know that they, they don't have certainly the dominance they have at Anfield this year, and I know players are a year and a half older now. But with five of them now, could we see the four a little bit more often, or do you think that's out of the equation? I thought at the time that the four was, it was basically an adjustment to compromise the issues that we had at centre half and then the knock on the midfield, where we literally didn't have the midfielders in order to to fill a three that Klopp was comfortable with. So this was a solution to the problem. Um, And I think if we were going to see it again, we'd have seen it before now, to be perfectly honest with you. I wouldn't be adverse to it. I think it's great. Like, it's one of those things that Pep sometimes does, which is he, Ferguson sometimes did it as well, where he just throws out something completely fucking random that nobody's prepared for. And it, like, absolutely mind fucks the other team for 20, 30 minutes at the start of a match. That would be great, but it's kind of high risk. And what do you do if it's personnel that's making up that kind of change of shape? Once the kind of element of surprise is worn off and they adjust to that, you're having to make substitutions um, rather than just kind of shift a couple of positions around to get your natural shape back that you literally play all the time and get coached all the time. So I don't think so. Um, I think that was kind of a break glass needs needs a must option last season. So, uh, Dave, then back to you. Where are you with the front three scenario? Do we do we now phase Mane out? Do you would expect now with Diaz coming in left hand side, John is going to be the nominal deputy or maybe starter through the middle, 
Um, and do we maybe just let Salah's contract run down and bring an equivalent in to Diaz in 18 months' time? Dave, you're, 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 you've got FSG doing things that FSG just would never do. Um, you know, let, let's not let's not forget they buy to sell. They buy to sell at a profit. Um, and if, if any of our front three goes, I think I think it's more than likely going to be Sadio Mane. Um, because number one, I think that I think Salah stays. I think that's don't, there's just not a world exists for me without Salah at the moment, uh, and I hope I'm right on that. Um, for, for Manny, I, I'm thinking of a saleable asset that you know they can still get top dollar for while you know at this time, and if they're going to move him, now's the time, or the next 12 months will be the time to do that. Um, and uh, it could be a possibility. I'd be very sad to see him go. Very, very, very sad to see him go. But as you say, the, the succession's there, and you've got Jada can play that left hand side. You've got Diaz, and I can play that left. It, it seems that that the, the, the evidence sort of points that direction. Um, and again, I, you know, you talk about them running contracts down. I just don't see FSG in any universe letting that happen unless it's a player maybe maybe I'm in Amino something like that with a paid minimal money for um the paid I think it was 30 million or something for 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 Manny um so I would dare say they'll 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 want that back again at least uh, with, with some interest on top I just don't I just don't believe that FSG would let a player like Sadio Manny Mo Salah um or Roberto Firmino's contract just run out and say goodbye um not after what they brought to the club I just I just don't I just I just don't think so. Now, these are the people who sack Kenny Dalglish, by the way. So don't be don't be taking any of that as gospel. We know they'll do their yeah. own thing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a good point, Andy. I just want to labour on this a little bit because I think it's interesting that we have this kind of perception of Klopp that he is is quite sentimental, and we're all sentimental as football fans. That he's maybe a little bit more sentimental than some people would like him to be. But at the end of the day. These aren't his decisions. And Dave's right. FSG has shown in the past that they can be quite ruthless. And I get that, you know, you don't want to lose a player like Mo Salah or Sadio Mane on a free transfer. But you're kind of waiting in the Gini Wijnaldum territory here where if you're going to give them a new contract, it's probably going to have to be four years. So how much are you going to be getting for your you know, 250, 300 grand a week from Saudi Omani or potentially four and a half, 500 grand a week from Osawa when they're 34, 35. And those are the discussions that are going to be going on in the background. So I can I, I can understand the reluctance to hand contracts out to these guys. And the, the technology and the stats these days are, are so advanced. Any sort of decline in Manny's performance, whether it's physically, whether it's modelled by what he's doing with the ball, will show up very clearly on their computers. Yeah, and um, they'll back themselves to go out and just get another one because they've done it time and time yeah, again. Completely. And the the ideal replacement that, you know, gone I feel are the days where you see a player and you sort of he sort of catches your eye and you have a look at them and you scout them. It's like I feel like there's a right answer. There's a genuine right answer based on the stats these days about who to sign and and this that, and the other, which sort of takes the fun out of it a little bit. But I'm sure it's it'll, a bit it'll like you see no mathematicians working on the equation trying to get it down to a zero where they've got a zero point zero 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 one 
And yeah. they keep working it and working it and working it until they get right down to zero. And that feels like that's what our transfer group or whatever the fuck you call them do. It's like the people who play fantasy football and keep all the spreadsheets about expected goals and like they've all these stats and there's a right transfer to make every week. And for me, that takes the fun out of it, but uh, it's not it's not supposed to be fun for them. It's it's a job. I, I think with Sally, you have to live in the now. You have to live in the moment. Um, you have to say, listen, if we're paying a washed Mo Salah at 34 years old, 350k a week. We, you know, we still live the dream. We can't be letting them go now for the for the fear of that. Mane and Firmino are both a different story, and I would be gutted to see either of them go. But ultimately, they, if there does have to be one of them making way, and you don't want them to, you'd love to have that strength and depth in your squad. But at some point, the wage bill is going to get too high, and we're partial to. FFP constraints that Manchester City aren't and we know that and we know why that is and probably best not going on doing it live in the podcast um, to go out on air or whatever. But. And and our system is quite quite hard on, on players like the, we, we require a lot of players to play in that system and, and you know we could. I mean, could we, a tight squad as well. Yeah but could we say yeah. you know he, he burns them out you, you know <laughs> <laughs> he burns them out a bit quicker. I don't know if he does. I think, Andy, you do make the point that we can't be sentimental and you never want to see them leave. But actually what happens with a lot of players is when they do kind of outstay their welcome, you kind of end up resenting them a little bit. And you're like, oh, fuck. A bit James Milner, if you want. And, you know, it's like, oh, fuck, not Milner again. He can't run. He can't this. He can't that. And he generally does a pretty decent job, you know. But you always find the flaws because you're already starting to, you know, you're already starting to prejudge and, and justify your assistance in the confirmation bias that you talked about earlier on. Like, for instance, at Chelsea, I thought Milner was our best midfielder by far, but he gives away the stupid free kick, and that's all anybody's talking about, and that's what his entire narrative of his performance is based around. So I don't want to see that either. No, completely. And it's one of these, if, there, if it genuinely is a choice between two you know whether it's choice between having having them all there um or keeping them and not succession planning not getting those players in if it's a choice between those two and it probably is ultimately going to be a choice between these two because we're not going to be able to have 25 players and 200 grand 250 grand a week you know plus the money they'll be demanding them as well you know it's going to be a choice between that and ultimately you know and here's one who, who who's buying them yeah, Barcelona maybe. Um, but the thing is, is that is that not is not exactly the issue because that's yep. what that's what this is this is the key factor in, in FSG's uh, bargaining position here or negotiating position. Who's going to take you? Well, nobody's going to take Yeah, and 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 FSG will also have a very clear figure in their head of what they will accept for Manny. Um, so. I, I, you know, we, we're still, we're still not really up to speed with what, how footballs come out of COVID, sort of thing. You know, since then and how financially it's going to be affected. Um, you know, it's we saw madness from Messi and shit like that, but that's that's fantasy football, like Man City and uh, uh, that other crowd. What do you call them? Paris Saint Germain. Um, it, 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 
I, we don't know who's got, who's going to have money. Barcelona seem to be making a comeback from from nowhere. So, but but do they want a what a thirty two year old Sadio Mane? And the same conversation applies to Salah as well. So yeah, I, I I don't know where these guys go. I don't know where they think their best chance of winning trophies is. I don't know what. I, I think our fear as fans, Dave, if, if you know, for the for, gives the, the the hypothetical that you gave. You know, you let Mo Salah's contract run down. He goes to somewhere else, and he has four fucking seasons where he is just the new Lionel Messi. You know, he he takes over that mantle. You know, you're, we're, we as fans are saying, oh, fuck's sake, those bastards didn't pay him. You know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, sometimes, but again, it depends. It depends what random fucking new world-class to-be player they, they throw out the right-hand side to replace him. And, you know, you, you just don't know. And, you know, there was the old Shankly expression, um, let their legs go at somebody else's club. And I think didn't he sell Larry Lloyd to Nottingham Forest and he went and won two European Cups. So as they say, thanks for joining me guys. Until next time, up the it's better to burn out than to fade away reds. <laughs> <laughs>